0: According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, flu cases are on the rise in the Southeast United States following an outbreak of RSV in children. It's not too late to get your flu shot ahead of the holiday season. This is Pulse Check. I'm Katherine Ellen Foley. R.J. Reynolds, the maker of Newport menthol cigarettes and other tobacco companies, have brought a complaint against the state of California after voters upheld a law that would ban the sale of most flavored tobacco products. The companies are saying that the ban is a de facto product standard, something that only the Food and Drug Administration is allowed to create. Tobacco companies have made similar arguments in the past when local governments have tried to ban the sale of certain tobacco products. They've lost every time. But the Reynolds case matters because the company also claims the California ban is unconstitutional because it interferes with interstate commerce. The court could delay the state from implementing the law while it reviews Reynolds case. And gender affirming care providers are lobbying Congress and the Biden administration to keep their ability to prescribe testosterone virtually even after the public health emergency ends. The Department of Health and Human Services and the Drug Enforcement Administration waived the requirement for physicians to see patients in person before prescribing controlled substances, including testosterone. But the public health emergency is slated to end next year, and with it, the eased rules for prescribing testosterone. And Megan Messerly has been following a pair of little-discussed Republican election victories last Tuesday that threatened to undermine abortion access in two states. Megan, can you walk me through what happened in the Ohio and North Carolina Supreme Court elections?
1: So the big takeaway is that Republicans in both of the Supreme Court races, there's three candidates in the Ohio Supreme Court races and two in the North Carolina Supreme Court races. And they all swept those seats. Now, why this matters is because abortion had played a really big role in both Supreme Court elections. Democrats, particularly, were trying to make abortion a central issue, really making the case that if you elect these Republican Supreme Court justices, this could potentially jeopardize the future of abortion access in these states. And we saw on Tuesday that while abortion was a pretty successful message for Democrats, you know, it got a lot of folks to turn out. That message should not carry through to these state Supreme Court races. And I think the biggest takeaway is in Ohio, where, as I mentioned, these three Republican Supreme Court justices got elected. All three of the candidates espoused anti-abortion views on a survey put out by a local organization. And the biggest takeaway there is that there's actually a case that is expected to soon come before the Ohio Supreme Court on abortion this is the case challenging the state's six-week abortion ban. And we we don't know exactly when this case is going to come before the court. You know, it could be like months, not a near matter of months, but like maybe eight or 10 or nine. It could be a year. It could be more than that. We don't really know because the court process, you know, has to run its course. But this is expected to be the court that will take up this case. And so pro-abortion rights advocates are looking at this and they're Not saying they're ruling out anything entirely yet, but they're saying it's not looking good for a ruling that's in favor of abortion rights. And meanwhile, anti-abortion groups in the state like Ohio Right to Life are hailing this as a victory for the anti-abortion movement.
0: And so can you walk me through what that also means for abortion rights in North Carolina?
1: Yeah. So North Carolina is really interesting because there was this big push this year uh, by Republicans to get a supermajority in the legislature that would have allowed the legislature to override Democratic Governor Roy Cooper's vetoes. And that would have allowed them to pass a bunch of conservative policies, but among them, an abortion ban. Now they fell, it looks like one seat shy of a supermajority in both chambers. So it looks like they won't have that veto proof supermajority. However, both proponents and opponents of abortion rights, are you know looking at this Supreme Court as now a more conservative, more anti-abortion body that still could have significant implications for the future of abortion access in the state. And that's in part because there's this 2020 case that's still working its way through the state court process. It's not about you know a six-week or a near-total ban or anything like that. North Carolina allows abortion up to 20 weeks of pregnancy. However, this case is challenging some of the other abortion-related restrictions that North Carolina has. And the thinking is that if that case works its way up to the Supreme Court, the North Carolina Supreme Court, you know, and they're asked to rule on whether there's a constitutional right to abortion, you know, they could look at the law and say, no, there's no right here. And that would be, you know, sort of the case law on this moving forward. And so that's the big concern with the outcome of that race.
0: So is there anything specific that abortion rights proponents or opponents are, are doing right now, now that we have sort of the makeup of the Supreme Court in these states?
1: Yeah, so I'll say in Ohio, you know, I was talking with um, abortion rights advocates on the ground, and sort of the biggest tool left to them really is a ballot measure. You know, they've been talking about this for some time, and they haven't offered, you know, any updates or a timeframe or, or any specifics about what they might be planning. But I think the sense in Ohio is, at this point, this is really, you know, the only way to allow abortion again in the state. Abortion is technically allowed right now because the state's abortion law has been put on hold. However, with a Republican legislature, a Republican governor, and this Republican majority Supreme Court, the thought is that, you know, there will be no abortion access in Ohio at some point in the near future. And that's why, you know, abortion advocates are looking to the ballot measure process as as the one remaining option left to them.
0: And there were states with other Supreme Court races, too. Can you tell me what happened there?
1: Yeah, so it's really interesting. So even as we're looking at, you know, the outcome in Ohio and North Carolina as sort of being, you know, a a victory for the anti-abortion side and a loss for the abortion rights side, Two of the really interesting Supreme Court races to me were the Montana Supreme Court race and the Kansas Supreme Court race. Um, And that's because both of those bodies have previously determined that there's a constitutional right to abortion. And they're also states where we might at some point in the future see um, an abortion case come before them. You know, Those courts could be asked to reevaluate their prior rulings and say, okay, no, we no longer find there's a right to abortion in the Constitution. So in Montana, there was this really interesting race where this Republican who's sort of running on conservative values, he has all these campaign ads running against uh, Joe Biden. Uh, He was challenging a Democratic incumbent. Um, Neither of them were really running on abortion explicitly as an issue. Uh, The Democratic justice, she had a lot of messaging sort of around the right to privacy, but they didn't specifically talk about abortion in that issue. In any case, she won her re bid and so Montana Supreme Court will stay with this 5-2 Democratic majority. And then the other really interesting one was the Kansas Supreme Court, where essentially all six, there were six of the seven Supreme Court justices who were up for a retention election this year, and all six justices were retained, which is notable because three of those justices were on the court back in 2019 when the court ruled that there is a constitutional right to abortion. So two of them were in support of that opinion, and one of them dissented. And Kansans for Life, an anti-abortion group in the state, was really campaigning hard, saying, you know, retain that one justice. Who dissented, get rid of the rest of them. And we did see a vote difference in sort of the margins that the justices were retained by, but all six justices were retained, which, you know, court observers were looking at as sort of a success of this retain them all strategy that was run in the state. But essentially, the outcome of those two races are important because, again, these are two states where. The status of access to abortion really hinges on those court decisions and the court, you know, make up sort of remaining what it is right now.
0: Going forward, does it seem like from your reporting that there's going to be more attention on state Supreme Court races given the current environment for abortion access?
1: Yeah, you know, in talking with legal scholars about this, I mean, this is the one one of the things they were kind of um, excited about with all the increased attention on abortion this year is they're saying, you know, if if nothing else, we're hopeful that this will increase voter interest and engagement in these historically very low turnout races and as state high courts have been increasingly asked to weigh in on issues that are in the forefront of the public's consciousness, you know, whether it's abortion or voting rights, or I don't know that everyone's following redistricting, but those are issues that have come before a lot of these courts as well. These courts are increasingly in the public's eye. And so the hope is that with these issues coming before the courts, there will be more public interest and focus on them, Which then, you know, will have implications for these races that, again, historically don't have a lot of turnout. Voters don't go into them knowing a lot of information. And so the hope is that this could maybe lead to some more um, civic engagement generally.
0: All right, Megan. Thanks so much for talking with me. Of course. Thanks so much for having me. And that's our show. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Annie Reese is our producer. Our healthcare team editors are Eli Reyes, Dan Goldberg, Barbara Van Tyne, Beth Belton, and Sean Zeller. Jenny Ament is the executive producer of audio at Politico. I'm Catherine Ellen Foley. Subscribe and follow Pulse Check for a new episode every day. And subscribe to our newsletters where you can read this reporting. Pulse, Future Pulse, and Prescription Pulse. Thanks for listening.